The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to Brown Table Talk. I am DC Marshall, founder and CEO of Diverse and Engage, and a Wall Street alum and top WBE CEOs. I am here with my co-host, Mita. Hey there, Mita. Hi, D. I'm Mita Malik. I'm a business leader, a DEI champion, and most importantly, a working mother. And guess what, everybody? Mita and I, we started Brown Table Talk as a place to spill the tea on the hard truths women of color face in the workplace from my perspective as a Black woman and for Mita, her view as a South Asian woman. And what we do here at our table is we unpack it all. We don't leave any juicy details out of experiences and stories. And then we provide you with tips that you need, not on just how to survive in the workplace, but how to thrive in organizations. So Mita, what are we talking about today? So today, Dee, we're talking about something I've faced in my career. I know so many listeners have faced as well. It is how to stop being indispensable. So let me say that again. How to stop being indispensable. So a play on what we've learned, which is to always be indispensable. So Dee and I are going to get into it and we will leave allies and women of color, all of us tips at the end of the episode so we can all help each other thrive in our workplaces. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a great topic just about, you know, the value that you bring, you know, your unique serving proposition, your competitive advantage. So I'm excited about the show. So I know, again, we've talked about this on a number of occasions. So tell us the story. Yes. Well, this is a story I want to share that really illustrates this point. So I took an assignment I was very excited about. When I took this assignment, the leader, who was a white man, my boss at the time, said to me, you're going to take this assignment. It's going to be a 12-month assignment, and I'm going to get, get you promoted after that. 12 months turns into 18, turns into 24, turns into 36. This is a story many of you have heard or you've lived. And so what was interesting about during this time, I was doing everything, D, to get promoted. I was doing what we talk about, getting points on the board, finding allies in the organization. The extra work I was taking on was to accelerate my career, not office work, which if you haven't listened to that episode this season, please go and do that. So I was doing things like he was putting me on global task force. He was asking me to attend meetings with him. I was getting invited to external meetings. I was doing strategy decks. I was doing things that were helping me as well. And so here's what's fascinating. So as I'm struggling, I'm like, why can't I get off his team? He won't let me go. He's being a talent hoarder, right? We've heard this talent hoarder. And so one of my career sponsors said to me, a white man, one day sees me in an event and I'm complaining about this. And D, he, he leans in and whispers the following. You made the critical mistake. You became indispensable. Of course, he's not going to let you go now. Why would he? 
And I was like, that rocked my world. I didn't know that. Like, I, I am the child, proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. You work hard. You keep your head down. You will be recognized. Uh, and so you are, you do everything you can to be indispensable. Isn't that the career advice we've been given all of our lives, D? Like, you make yourself indispensable. And all of a sudden, I made myself indispensable, and now I was trapped. I was trapped. And so that, to me, that floored me. There are like a, a number of times in my career I've been floored, and that piece of advice floored me, that he leaned in and said that to me. He said, well, yeah, of course, that's going to happen. What? No one told me that. You know, I've heard the story from you, and I've heard it from others. And it is, you know, a lot of times women and women of color in particular, black and brown women uh, more specifically, are heroes and sheroes. They come in with their cape, with a talent, a genius, a creative, or a, a lens that is that is very unique, right? And and this speaks to the value of women of color, right? And the value that we bring to the table. And then, yep, we make our colleagues look good, or we make right. We we add so much value, and it's not to say that they don't, but we add we bring such a unique element. I've seen it before. I've heard it before. The play out of of it has always been horrible when you try to leave. So yeah, so it's self-serving. So he, she, your boss at the time knew that you were really the glue. You were the plug. You were, you know, the chip, the feather in his cap, like making him look good, delivering. And so it's very selfish. It's very self-serving. But I think for that leader, it was a missed opportunity to advance you and really be part of that win. Like like that's a win in and of itself. When you hire the right people on your team, you support their growth and development, and then you support their upward mobility as a leader. It makes you look good. So Dee, what I want to pick up on is what happened during the course of the time when I was on this assignment, because as you talked about, he made a key hire, he made a key talent, which was me, and I put a lot of points on the board. But what I saw during this time frame was so many of the white men who I worked with were moving on and getting promoted. So here I was, 12, 18, 24, 36 months and more. And yet they were all moving on and I wasn't. I was stuck. I was stuck because I had become indispensable. So I'm like, what did they do differently? Which I have some thoughts on, but like, this is what I can't wrap my head around. Because again, I lost time in my career, right? We talk about this. You talk about this a lot. That's when I lost time. Yeah. So, you know, part of me is thinking, okay, you know, you made a point about we're told, we're taught, be indispensable, but that didn't necessarily work. And so it had me thinking, so do we show up differently? Do we show up and we should no longer be indispensable and just show up and do our job? No, this is not about you, us doing anything differently. This is about the managers, the leadership, right? Them showing up differently. And so here are my two thoughts. It's getting it in writing It's always these follow-up conversations and tracking. So when it was one year and when it's year two, you know, it's always that paper trail of, you know, great conversation, you know, really uh, glad that we're trending or I'm tracking or, you know, that there's value here and, you know, your feedback that I've delivered on this, that, and a third or whatever that is, and looking forward to my next level and, and, 
you know, appreciate the support, right? So, so that at one year, two year, and, you know, or 18 months, there's these incremental follow-up conversations or documentation. And I know everyone, I know everybody knows this and I know you know this, but that is a way to sort of track. And I think for folks listening here, you know, leadership is not a position, it's an action. And leaders are responsible for developing others. And the sign of a leader and your legacy is going to be attached to people and how um, how they're better off when you leave them. And so the greatest leaders that I know have fruit, we say, for folks who are familiar with that reference. It's a biblical reference. And uh, and people know I'm a woman of faith. So it's fruit. So you should have fruit. You should, you should have, as a leader, you should produce fruit. There should be good and great and amazing things that come from you and your role at company XYZ. And part of that is not just you delivering on the business, but you delivering as it pertains to people, right? And so that's that's kind of what's showing up for me, friend. You know what I think is interesting, Dee, about what you're just saying about the documentation, about the one year, the two year, the three year? I was not politically savvy enough. I was not reading the tea leaves. I tied my fortune to one individual. And listen up to people who are listening. Do not tie your fortunes to one individual in an organization. I trusted this person implicitly thinking that they were going to get me promoted. So for me, the documentation, I was like, well, well, he says it's going to happen. Please don't make that mistake. And that goes back to the conversation we've had on how you need a number of allies, a number of stakeholders in the organization who know your worth and who can help you rise in your career. Because I, I trusted this person. So I wasn't like, oh, well, I don't need to document this. They'll, he's saying it's going to happen next year. He's, gonna say, he's saying it's happening in six months. But the other thing I want to say to you, which just showed up for me, I don't think I have the privilege of not being indispensable. Does that make sense? I don't think I can just show up and do less than 100%. I'm not, that's not, I can't. Let's just be honest about it, right? Drops mic. That right there. Oh my goodness. Right? I can't. I can't come in and do less than what I would do. It's not how we were raised. You're right. And you know what I'm hearing from you, Mita? You cannot because that's how you were raised. That's part of your culture. That's part of your DNA. That's part of how you're yeah. wired. You show you show up, your mom and your dad, that's who they raised. So I love it from that perspective. But can I also say as a Black woman, like I can't show up and do just the minimum. Black women, Black people, we always have to, and we use this term, we have to prove and reprove. It's not really a word, but it's you have to yes. prove yourself and then you have to prove yourself again and then you have to over. You have to prove yourself again. So you're right. We, uh, I think we share this culturally, culturally, even as a black woman, we were, right? We know as black people, we have to over-deliver. Over-deliver. That's right. But then we also know we can't go to a job and meet or barely meet expectations, right? Exceed, exceed, exceed. That's right. We have to exceed or we're out. So you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. So it's interesting because one of the pieces of advice that you would generally talk about on how to stop being indispensable is to make yourself less available, right? Is to create boundaries. And so it's interesting, this former boss would routinely text me 6.30 a.m., weekdays, weekends, I would respond. And so those of you who know me as Dino's, D like texted me the other night at like 11 o'clock. I was passed out. I'm a morning person. I get up early. People know that. He started to know that about my schedule. 
And I would respond because I wanted to be indispensable, right? No. And so my white man friend was like, why are you responding at 7 a.m.? I'm like, I, that's why you need WBs in your life. I W yeah. just as much as you need. I listen, I, I got my black girl network, my BG network, my brown girl network. You need WBs. There are good WBs. And Who's, so what's you a see- WB? What's a WB? Our, our, white, boy, our white boy friends. Right. We need them. Because didn't he tell you? Didn't he, he said, why are you responding at 7 a.m.? Why are you responding? I'm like, because he needed something. You know, Mita, as I mentioned to you years ago, this is why we also need our WB network. You need a WB network. You need a white boy network. Because just how you said, your WB friend said, Mita, that's not right. Or whatever it is that he shared, uh, it was in, it was, it was to support you, right? It was to give you insight and to really hold space for you. And so shout out to the WBs listening here. I have one, not just one, but one of my WB friends, he runs a business, a data analytics company, and we've done projects together. And he did the same for me at one point. I was just so grateful to have him by my side because he really broke it down and he affirmed, confirmed a lot of what I was feeling. He says, D, this is so frustrating. He called the folks racist. He just said it. And he said, I'm going to be quite honest. This would not happen if you were me. He said, I'm going to take the hit for this. I'm going to go first. You don't say anything. And he was saying in a, in a way that he was going to like I said, take the hit. So shout out to not just allies, but the WBs. Because actually, another show. Put Let's put this in the parking lot, Mita. Don't let me forget this. This is another show. I really have another WB friend. He doesn't really identify as an ally. And I think it's because it's too much pressure. So let's mm, put that in the parking lot and oh, come back. Lot. I like we'll that. We'll put that in the parking lot, yeah. maybe another show to our friends in corporate, our WB friends who they're there for us. But they're kind of like feel a little awkward in calling themselves allies. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So the other piece of advice that one of my white man friends at the time gave me is, why are you saying yes to all these projects? See? I'm like, well, I can say no. <laughs> See? I, I, I can say no. This is, I'm getting my paycheck from this place. Your boss tells you what to do, you do it. I, this is just how I've been raised. So he's like, just sit down with your boss and tell him all the other projects you're on and make a case for prioritizing that list because it's not possible for you to continue to do all of these things. And so I was perpetuating the being indispensable because I, I was literally 
taking on every key initiative, which, you know, D, your advice is you want to get points on the board, you want to accelerate your career, get on those key initiatives that are company-wide that are going to give you access, right? That's right. To the different players. But when you end up doing too many of those, the downside is the person who is reaping the benefits of this, the boss is like, I'm not letting her go. She's running the whole show. This is amazing. And so that was a flip for me too. Because I make a joke, you know, you've heard this, voluntold. I've been voluntold, right? I always say, like people, I get voluntold. I've been voluntold a lot in my career. But huh, to say, what would it look like if, if we said no? What would it look like if we said, no, we can't take this on right now? I'm not going to say there's not career repercussions. I'm not saying it's that easy. But I already said yes to this. I'm already doing this for you. So I can't do these other four things that you're asking me to do right now. It's just not possible. And also, I would say sometimes, because people are moving too fast, if you become the go-to person on the team, if D is my go-to, I just constantly give D stuff. This is another lesson for leaders and allies. Are you giving that same person on your team everything? Because you know they're going to get it done. And you're not, you're overlooking other talent. You're not even asking someone else if they're interested. You're not even giving other people a chance. And then you didn't realize you just assigned D 12 things to do. You know, I love this topic. I think a lot of people are going to find value in this. And I think one, just that we don't have the luxury to not over-deliver or to not be indispensable. Like we always have to come with the skills, like the baseline, the technical skills, the soft skills, and then, and some, like additional value add, but the audacity, you know, to want to move on. But I love that you clarified it was early on in your career because I'm sure this is going to help lots of folks tuning in, document everything. And in a way, I think those casual conversations, always with a follow-up email, thanks for the time and the clarity and or whatever it is, just a just an email in gratitude. And even confirming, here's what I heard, here's my next step, is always a great strategy. You know, it brought me back to my early, early days. I worked for one of the top financial services firms early in my career. And I was really good at getting promotions. And I'm going to tell you how I mastered it. I would always book a formal meeting. So I always say, folks, book a formal feedback meeting. Um, And it was a memo and it said merit increase or merit. I don't even know how I knew this way back when, (laughs) before I became an official certified coach. So of course, right now I run, I run this company. You were born this way in your spirit. I was born this way that I love it. Even being a, you know, one of a few in a super conservative top financial services firm, being young, being naive, even being somewhat insecure, right? As a Black woman there, I would write a memo and the subject was merit increase. And it was to to discuss. It was to discuss my job. I knew my job description and I knew what was the and one. And I went into the conversation and I knew I could get a promotion within one year. And here's how it would happen. The conversations would happen every six months. Once I went in, it was okay if I got a no. The question becomes, everybody write this down. What do I need to do? What are the three things that I must master to get to the next level? Because once you have the conversation, it's okay if it's a no, you're going to master that in the next six months or one year. Do you see? And, And thank you for the meeting and the time. I'll follow up in six months. The documentation. So boom, there it is. Okay. Let me tell you what's about to happen. Everyone's listening to this episode. 
all these leaders are going to get invites in their calendar, the memo. <laughs> There's going to be a wave, the memo. Merit increase. Right. Let's discuss. Merit increase. Three things That's to right. get. Be- because, and it was merit increase because I liked my job, but I knew you need to pay me more. So just, it's an in-place promotion. Now, actually, parking lot, that's another episode because we have said no more laterals. We have, I think that was what, season one. So this, and you know what? I guess for our listeners, they'll tell us if this jives, if it resonates with you. Um, There is... Uh, for I think early in your career, an opportunity for in-place promotions. When you love your job, you like your job. I just need you to one up me, ma'am, sir. One up me, okay? One up, me. one up me. All right. I like my job, but you have given me more work, and that's not what this job description says. Now, I do think it's sensitive. I do think it's risky in some instances because you are to deliver more. But when yeah. it comes to people of color. I think it's a fine line to ask people of color to be very sensitive about if you're asking or adding more to already an overwhelming, we're going way off topic. So just put this This in the parking lot. And I think for our listeners, tell us what you want us to, you know, what you want us to talk about, right? Yeah. I will say it's just the episode that we talked about this season, just say no to the fake promotion, right? No more fake promotions, right? So before we go to tips, here's the other thing that I I want to be really honest about, which is this constant need in my career, which I think many women of color can really relate to, is that I never have enough points on the board. There's never enough points on the board, right? Because I have been told in my career when I've gone up for those promotions, when I've had those meetings, you just need a few more points on the board right? When I see a white man getting promoted, I don't know what points he has in the board. He didn't even, he wasn't even in this division. He didn't even do the job before, but someone saw his potential, right? So for me, they don't see my potential. I need the points on the board. So the points on the board gets tied to this. I need to be indispensable. I need to be indispensable. I need to take on everything they ask me to and more so that I can collect so many points that the piggy bank is exploding right? Like how many more points do I need? And so that's the tension, right? Because I'm like, how many more points do I need? At what point does this stop that people just say she's got the potential and the points to do the job? Hell, you don't have the potential. You have it. Let's just scratch (laughs) potential. No, you don't. Friend, 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 scratch that. Scratch that. It's not that you have the potential. You have it. Okay. So let's stop everybody. No, it's not. Okay. It's not that she have, we have the potential. Let's normalize. She has it. Not the potential, okay? I'm sorry, friend. I, I y- y- You know, I just, I can't. No, it's right, but you have to course correct me. You have to um, correct me on that because I've been trained. Potential, potential. Hey, you, you need to show the potential. You need to show the potential. You know what? And about the points on the board. Yes. I think our responsibility and there's an opportunity for us. So women, listen up. As soon as you come in the door, ask what are the points needed? So you need the benchmarks. You need to understand the standard. So if you have a conversation on the front end about, right, what is the standard? What are the the top three things that it takes to succeed here? In fact, that is a strategy when you come into a new job or you come into an organization, there's a, a short window of opportunity of, uh, called getting acclimated. Ask for meetings with key leaders, 15-minute meetings, and ask, what does it take to succeed here? Question number one. You could also ask the question, for those who have not 
survived here or thrived? What was the biggest miss, right? And I think that's where you clarify points on the board. Here's why, Mita, because the points, when they say you need more points on the board or we need more points on the board, but then my friend over here, my WB friend, he doesn't need the same points. No, we just want to make sure we're playing the same game. Same game, right? It's Is it e- equality or equity? We just want to make sure we know the rules of the game. So I know that's a lot. We've talked about a lot. And uh, I'm just believing that you're going to take away one thing. But the way we set up the show is to always leave you with tips. So Mita, why don't you take us to the tips? Yep. So I'm going to start with one and two. And the first is the advice we talked about in this episode is to set boundaries. You can be killing it at your job and accelerating your career and putting points on the board and not having to respond to every email or text you get at 6.30 in the morning, as my friend told me. So set those boundaries. The second is try to say no. I know that's hard. It's hard for me, certainly. But say no. Remind your leader of all the things you're working on. Because I will tell you, I manage a team right now. I don't always remember what everyone's working on. I ask them to remind me because we're human. So if you are being assigned five, six, seven huge initiatives, just stop and say, you know, D, I don't know if you realize that I've been working on all of these things. And so just that reminder is helpful and also to say no. And then I'm going to turn it over to Dee for the most powerful tip number three she gave me a few years ago when she was coaching me. Dee, over to you. Yep. So tip number three is find allies. And I will say this about the tip that I shared uh, many years ago. And for for a lot of the uh, women who we work with, it's find a WB network. Because here's how this thing works. In many organizations, the majority uh, might be white male or it it could be white female. But in that instance, what I was sharing is find your WB network, your white man network. We call it WBs. And really just because if they are the majority, they understand the culture, they understand the politics, they understand the game, they have insight and information that you may not have. So this is not about uh, brown women being less than black or brown women being less than, or this is not about we don't need us, we do need us. And we are valuable and we are in and of ourselves, but we need in the majority population, you need a WB network. So I would always encourage folks to have that because they are also so valuable for feedback and for insight that you may not have. Well, Dee, that was game-changing piece of advice for me in my career. So thank you for sharing that with everyone. Thank you. This has been an amazing episode. Dee and I appreciate you so much. Thanks for being here with us at our Brown Table Talk. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a review, give us a share, spread the word with your communities, and we'll see you next time. Side effects of listening to Brown Table Talk may include allies unleashed, getting paid more, and a dose of badassery all the way around. More at www.browntabletalkpodcast.com.